It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for September 6, 2012 is on the air tonight. Thank you for joining us on the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, sets to my right, your left. Dad, welcome to the program tonight. Jacob, great to be with you. Always uh, look forward to Thursday night's Virtual Bible Study, Internet uh Bible study group. Yes. Uh, so we look forward to it. We got a we got a continuation program tonight. We do have a continuation program of listener questions. So we look forward to your questions and uh, and we welcome your questions at any time. And these questions, I guess, you've compiled over several weeks. Yeah, these have been adding up for several weeks. Last week we dealt with some questions. We didn't get all the way through the list, so we kept the one that we didn't deal with last week. We're going to cover it tonight, and we added some more to it. we still got some in our stack of stuff, and we might uh, do this again in the not-too-distant future. But we, And we certainly will if uh, some of our listeners will submit questions that they would like to hear discussed. All right, and so if you are listening to us live, we welcome your questions tonight and your comments. We welcome your questions and comments anytime. You know, a majority of our listeners listen to us in the archive version. And uh, and so we welcome uh, your comments and your questions at any time. And I know what you're looking at. You're looking at our audience, aren't you? No, I'm looking at email. We get we've already got one more email okay. in. Okay. And so we we try to keep a, an eye on our email uh, throughout the program. So you can send us an email. You can get in the chat room. Uh, looks like maybe a lot of our regular listeners are. Occupied tonight. I know there's a big political speech on the TV uh, sometime tonight. Uh, maybe other things going on as well. So uh, for all of you who are out there, we need you to get involved and join us in the chat room. Give us your opinion. The chat room is easy to join. If you show up as me in the chat room, you're not signed in. Click on sign in. You can use chat roll and use the name that it gives you. No personal information is required. Just to click OK there, and you're in, and you're talking with other listeners tonight. All right, so here's the here's the first question we're going to go to yeah, tonight, and, and we might tease the other questions. We got one on self defense here. Okay, let's 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 do a tease real quick. We're going to talk about Chris, our friend Chris uh, in Atlanta has asked us to, to deal with the question of salvation issues. Yeah, man, I hear that expression more and more. That's not a salvation issue. Someone yes. says, well, what are the salvation issues? Yep. We want we want we want to try to identify that. Because that, that is becoming a really common yeah. expression. I'm yeah. hearing it all the time. Yeah. People say, oh, well, that's not a big deal. It's not a salvation issue. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, self-defense, and we're going to talk about prayer. So those will be topics we try to get to before the program's over. But the first question we've got is carried over from last week. It's from our friend Chris in the U.K. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Okay. Go ahead. Let's, let's go on. I, I had something that's been nagging at me all all week from last. I don't know. It wasn't all week, but it hit me What's after that? the program. I see Patrick in the chat room there. Patrick may, Patrick chimed in on that uh, the, the question about instrumental music last week, about baptism and instrumental music. And Patrick tried to connect the, the question that our listener had posed, that, you know, you, you 
say that you must be baptized, but then you don't use instrumental music. And Patrick sort of chided us because he says you go to the Greek word for baptism and say that it means to dip, but you don't go to the Greek word for solo, which he claims means to play an instrument, a musical instrument, which it doesn't. But he chided us for that. He says that we should look to what the Greek word for solo means because we do that with baptism, but Patrick doesn't do that with baptism. That's right, because the Catholic, he's a practicing Catholic, so yeah. Catholics don't dip yeah, people so, so for we're, we're, I, He didn't really have any ground to stand on there. I didn't. Yeah, that, if we're inconsistent, that, then his position would also be inconsistent. I don't believe we're inconsistent. I think we're consistent. I, I don't think that you can find a Greek authority who says that in the first century that the word solo in, in Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16... Yeah. I, I don't think that you can find a Greek authority that says that that meant to play, that it meant unquestionably to play with musical accompaniment. Because the fact of the matter is, the people of that era did not. Church historians are in complete agreement yeah. that Christians in the first century church and for some centuries after that did not use instrumental music. Right. Now, they spoke that language natively. They did not understand it to mean to sing with instrumental yeah. music accompaniment. And and so I don't believe that, that. Now, words change meaning over time. Yeah. And you can find some Greek authorities who, who will reference that word later. It came to mean that later, yeah. Yeah. but it didn't mean that in the first century. Or if it did, then the Christians of the first century weren't obeying the command. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And I didn't, I didn't want to mean to call Patrick out there. It just struck me. I just thought, well... How can he make that? How can he make that argument when he doesn't even accept the tenet of the argument? I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, it's, I mean, we're all striving for consistency. Yeah. We, right. we need to be consistent. Right. Uh, that yeah. that's what's really important. We right. want we and and honestly, we're seeking to know and do what the Bible teaches. Uh, it, it it requires uh, reason and logic. But it also requires us to be true and honest and open, and so that's what we keep trying to do. All right. Thank you for being in the chat room tonight, Patrick, and thank you for sending your comments last week, and we'll look forward to your comments this week as well on these important questions. All right. So let's get to this question carried over from last week. It's from Chris in the U.K. He, he wants to know about false teachers. He starts out, what are the marks of a true or false teacher? Number two, how do we encourage those who teach us? Number three, how do we guard ourselves individually and collectively as a church against false teachers? What does it mean to discern the spirits in 1 John? And what are the doctrines of demons mentioned in 1 Timothy? Wow. So we Five several questions, questions. In one. Yeah, and we'll, we'll hit them pretty quick here and okay. see what we can come up with. We'll try to do, maybe, Jacob, we can do a question per segment here tonight. We've got four questions. We've got four segments of the show, so maybe we can do that. What are the marks of a true or false teacher? Chris in Atlanta says, if you can turn to God's word and confirm what the person is teaching, then he would be a true teacher. Someone who teaches what is contrary to the word is a false teacher. Oh, so Chris is saying you've got to have an objective standard. There must be something to compare them to. Okay. In other words, it's not just, I I like that guy. He's very likable. He's got a silver tongue. And he's very very eloquent. He's an orator. No, that's not the way we do it. All right. And uh, then we have one from uh, Roger, I think, in... uh, uh, Randy in uh, Schwartz Creek, Michigan tonight. Uh, he says, the first verses I think of when uh, I am answering a question like the one above is Second John verses 9 and 10. Whosoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. 
As I think uh, Roger, or uh, I'm sorry, Randy is uh, alluding to that uh, objective standard as well, comparing what he teaches with what the Bible teaches. I think that's right. Jesus said we got to make that determination. You know, we we are not we are not allowed to just ignore the issue. Don't worry about it. Let everybody teach what they want. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So Jesus said one of the ways to detect false prophets or teachers is look to the consequence of their doctrine. Okay. Where where does it lead? What does it lead to? That could be, there could be several components of that, I think. One component might be, what is the, if I believe this doctrine that they're teaching, is one of the fruits of it that it's in contradiction with something else the Bible plainly teaches? That would mm-hmm. be a, that would be an evil fruit because yeah. the you you can't force the Scripture to contradict itself. Yes. So I might look for that kind of fruit, or I might look for the kind of fruits that if I if if a person applies what they are teaching, where does that lead? Mm-hmm. For instance, if I teach a, a certain doctrine on divorce, but it leads people to marry who are not qualified to marry then the evil fruit of my doctrine is that I've got people living in adultery. Uh, my doctrine can't be true. Mm-hmm. So I, Jesus suggests a test. Look what this leads to. What is the fruit? If, if, if you compare their teaching and, and realize that the consequences of it uh, are evil, then it can't be right. Yeah, that's right. And um, back to uh, what our listeners said about having a standard and applying that standard to what the, the teacher teaches and to determine if it's a false teacher, if he's a false teacher or a true teacher. Uh, that's what Paul encouraged the Christians to do in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Uh, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So Paul was saying, compare what's being taught with what has been taught, and if they don't agree, then what is being taught is wrong. And uh, and so we have that standard to use. Um, and and I think you're right. And in Second Peter chapter two, uh, Peter said there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So their popularity is not a test. In other words, many will follow a false teacher. You can't say, well, that guy must be right. Look how many people are following him. No. Peter said, many will follow the false teacher. But notice he says, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Oh. So one of the way, another way to detect a false teacher is maybe to, to be able to discern impure motives on his part. Yes. And you know, we've seen an awful lot of that with the telev- televangelists and so forth in recent years. Who've, who've been very corrupt in their personal lives. They've been they've been accumulating great wealth and then living immoral lives, taking advantage of the people who contribute money to their causes. So another test. So there's several tests. I think the scriptures suggest a, a number of tests, but I, I believe the first one that you mentioned, Jacob, is the bottom line. You got to compare it to the objective standard of the Word of God. If it's not, if it doesn't agree, it can't be true. Right. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the number to call. There are more questions in 
Chris's uh, question. Chris here. said, how do we encourage those who teach us well? All right, so we're talking about teachers in general. We've got false teachers. Now what about those who are teaching the truth? What kind of things would we do to encourage those who teach us well? Chris in Atlanta says we can tell them we appreciate them for teaching God's word. Uh, so just a word of encouragement yeah. is often a very positive thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, then uh, I don't. Did Randy have some additional comments in his that might apply to that? Uh, well, actually, I cut him off on his first answer. Whosoever goes on, he goes to look at Second John uh, nine and ten. Uh, let's see. No, let's see. Any if a person is teaching the teaching of the, uh, the anointed Christ and is not his own, uh, then he has at least one more of the mark of a true teacher and an important one at that. If a person comes to us and does not teach the teachings of the anointed Christ, but his own teaching then he at least has one mark of a false teacher. Uh, he thinks of also of Second uh, Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself appointed to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, every Christian needs to know what God approves of and does not approve of, and also rightly dividing the word of truth or handling and right the word of truth. We cannot hope to know what our Lord Jesus uh, teaches unless we know what his teaching is. We read this in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. You already mentioned I mentioned that, that pa- passage here in Galatians. We are given the mark of a false teacher. If anyone teaches a different gospel than what we have received from God's holy word, then they are a false teacher. On the other hand, if one teaches the same gospel that we have received from God's holy word, he is a true and faithful teacher. We read this in Acts 17, 10 through 11, uh, where the, uh, the, the, the Bereans, Bereans searched search the scriptures, uh, and they were uh, commended for that. It would be good for us all to do as the Bereans did in the book of Acts. They were commended for searching or examining the scriptures daily. A faithful or true teacher would want others to examine what they teach. No faithful child of God wants to teach error. They, they, uh, I, would be grateful for pointing out error uh, that they taught. Whoever is teaching us is always right and good to examine what we are taught. I always try to remember, no one can believe for me. No one can be faithful for me. No one could obey the gospel for me. I am responsible for what I believe. I am responsible for my actions, for what I teach. It is up to each individual to make sure their relationship with God is maintained and growing. All right. So we appreciate uh, Randy for those comments tonight. Okay. Uh, I think so I not, left. Not I, many comments on. I think the, I left something from Randy on the printer. I'll have to get that at the break. It on one of the later questions. Um, one of the things we're talking about: what can we do to encourage those who teach us well? Mm-hmm. Um, in Galatians chapter six, verse six. Paul says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto them unto him that teacheth in all good things. Uh, the word communicate there means to share or have fellowship in. And I, I think it suggests the idea that we that that teachers deserve to be re, remunerated for their services. Wow. That, you got that word? Yeah, Paul said I'm that. Sure. Yeah. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So in, at least in some instances, one of the ways that we encourage and support those who teach well is that they should be paid for their work. Right. Uh, and Paul says that those who devote themselves to the preaching of the word should live of the gospel. So the Greek word that's translated live of the gospel is remunerated? I don't know about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But anyway, we, we. But again, yes, we should we should have a word of encouragement and even consider the financial needs of those who right. teach and preach the truth. Right. Okay, and we should um, we should, but we should in just in summer we should be grateful for those who care for us enough to teach us 
what the scriptures teach. Yeah. And that, that's something we need to be reminded of. Well, we're up against a break, but let's go real quick. Uh, how do we guard ourselves individually and collectively as a church against false teachers? I think that's pretty much what we talked about before. Yeah. We got to compare what they teach to the word of God. That's what Chris says. I think that's uh, going to happen. When we come back, we'll talk about what does it mean to discern spirits? First okay. John four, verse one. What does it, what are the doctrines of demons mentioned in first Timothy? We'll cover those real quickly when we get back. All right. Uh, we'll get a break, and uh, then we'll look forward to your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The person who makes a success of living is the one who sees his goal steadily and aims for it unswervingly. That is dedication. The football coach Lou Holtz said, If you don't make a total commitment to whatever you're doing, then you start looking to bail out the first time the boat starts leaking. It's tough enough getting that boat to shore with everybody rowing, let alone when a guy stands up and starts putting his life jacket on. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back, and we're glad that you are as well. But I've got a problem. I think we've got to work on our uh, our tardy policy here, because we've got a lot of people here showing up tardy tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to tighten that up a little bit. Yeah, you're going to get... You're going to get. Uh, you have to start bringing notes of excuse. Detention. That's right. You're get detention. You have to stay over for 15 minutes Ooh, after the program's that's, over. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about listener questions on the program tonight. That uh, We are carrying these over. So one carried over from last week, and we added more to the list, and we'll take yours at any time that you're listening to the program or any time that you have... Uh, thought or a question that comes to mind, send it in. We can consider it on a program like this in the future. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use for that and is the email address to use for your comments tonight, or you can just simply type them in the chat room to the right of the video window. We welcome your comments. As we're talking about false teachers, as Chris from the United Kingdom has suggested uh, some questions along those lines tonight. Okay. Um, we have... Uh the, another part of, of uh, Chris's question from the UK, what, what does it mean to discern the spirits? I think he's talking about First John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The King James there, instead of saying discern, which I think some of the newer versions uh, use, uses the word try. Try the spirits. This goes right in line Beloved, with what believe we've been not saying. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. Hey, there we go. That's nice. Jeff, yeah. Yeah, Jeff's here. Uh I think it goes uh, right in line with the idea of comparing them to the, the truth that is revealed in the Word of God. We've got to, We've got to make that test. We've got to test them by all the standards that we were suggesting earlier. We've got to try the spirits. 
because there are many false prophets. In other words, we, we try them to see if they're telling the truth. That's one way we regard them. Also, we have to make sure that we guard our, our hearts and our, and, our, and our hungering for truth. Because uh, First John cha- or Second Timothy chapter four verse three talks about Christians who would not really have a desire for the truth, and they would keep to themselves teachers having itching ears, wanting to hear what they want to hear, not having a, a sincere desire to know God's will. And that yeah. uh, that's a that's a recipe for disaster. And uh, in uh, in Second Thessalonians two, it talks about those who do not have the love of the truth. That's right. You got to have a love for the truth. Yes. And then, real quick, the last part of Pat of uh, last part of Chris's question: What are the doctrines of demons mentioned in First Timothy four? This is First Timothy four, verse one. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Yes, there's sort of a divergence of opinion on that. Uh, some interpret that to mean simply false teaching in general. The doctrines of demons. In other words, it originates a broad reference to the source of all false teaching being with Satan. Yeah. So I it's the so. doctrine of demons. It's, it's sort of figure it, of speech. It, it's a figure of speech suggesting all that is contrary to what is right and good and true. Mm-hmm. And that may be it. Other people think that it may be specifically discussing the the perverted practice of worshiping saints and martyrs and so forth. That might fit the context. I leave that out there for your consideration. The context in verse three talks about. It goes on. It says, uh, talks about the doctrines of the devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot irons, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. It has been pointed out. I think it's. I think it's worth noting that. The Catholic Church did begin to do some of the things. Now, whether this is a specific prediction of some of the the, the uh, false practices that were brought in by the Catholics, mm-hmm. forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, they did that. Whether they want to admit it or not, they did that. Mm-hmm. Could it be that the, since that may be in the context that the doctrines of devils uh, could be a reference to the worship of saints and martyrs, which the Catholics also did. Some think that. I'm not saying that I do necessarily, uh, but it, it it could fit in that context. Okay, interesting. So, uh, all right. All right, so. so we've got uh, we've got uh, uh, Chris's question answered about false teachers. We need to move quickly on. All right, let's go on to Chris's uh, the other, another Chris from Georgia, who has a question about uh, whether or not. Uh, Something is okay. This is this is an important question, and I I think one that I want to hear discussed by our listeners in the chat room and and uh, email. Call us if you got an idea. Uh, Get on the line with us. He says Uh, I hear. Go ahead. uh, Patrick is uh, sent in a comment in the chat room. We should include this, I guess, before we go on. He says, notwithstanding the fact that we disagree on whether supernatural gifts continue in the modern day, I think we are at least agree. But they exist in the first century. Now, the scripture in Acts uh, gives an account of a woman who had a spirit of divination. The discernment of spirits may refer to the supernatural ability to discern whether supernatural abilities come from the Holy Spirit or evil demonic spirits. Maybe. That's worth considering, Patrick. I think that's a worthy consideration. Okay. All right. Uh, So let's get to Chris's question from Georgia. He says, I hear brethren sometimes disagree on a topic and then both concede it is not a matter of salvation. 
and it's okay to hold differing viewpoints. My question is, when would a matter become serious enough to be considered a matter of salvation? Some believe it's okay to use church funds for benevolence. Others do not. Some believe, I think he means they're probably general benevolence. Uh, some believe you must use one cup. Others do not. Some believe it acceptable to play the lottery and so forth. When is something considered a matter of salvation? I have my own thoughts, and there are some I know that consider all these such a matter. That's the question that we teased a little earlier, because we keep hearing people say, Jacob, that's not a salvation issue. Yeah. Oh, you play the lottery. Well, I don't play the lottery, but that's not a salvation issue. I'm not going to make a big yeah. a big deal out of it. Yeah. Uh, or uh, I drink a little. You don't think I should. But I don't think it's a salvation issue. We'll just ignore it. Yeah. You, oh, you, you believe in abortion. I, I think it's okay. Yeah. Yes, it's not God, a salvation. Does, God doesn't want us to. It's really not a salvation discuss issue. This that, that's what, but that's that's exactly the argument that that people are making, and so the question becomes: How do we tell what is a salvation issue and yeah. what's not? I've wondered that before. I mean, who makes that decision? Where do you where do you draw the line? Because I can't read about salvation issues in the New Testament. So how do you know? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can join in the chat room. Or you can send your comments to questions at collegeu.com. Better yet, the toll-free number and the line is open is 877-381-4567. We welcome your calls tonight as well. Along the lines of what is a salvation issue, we might we might use as an illustration of that baptism. There are people who are saying baptism, yeah, that's a good thing. And, yeah. and you know, certainly the Bible talked about baptism, but it's not a salvation issue. It's not an issue that would determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Some would say that. Some would say that. It's yeah. not so let's just use that as an illustration. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, notice, he, he didn't say, but it's not a salvation issue. Yeah. He just said, do it. And, of course, when he said that, he was echoing the words of Jesus when he instructed the apostles, Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Acts 20, or, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. Notice Jesus said, Go out and baptize them. He didn't say... It's not a salvation issue. Uh, now, we're just using baptism as an example because there are people who say it's not a salvation issue. But when you say be baptized, but it's not a salvation issue, you're adding to the Scriptures. You're adding words that the, scri- the Scriptures simply say do it. Yeah. And for you to say it's not a salvation issue is adding a concept that the Scriptures don't add there when it's talking about that subject. So I just think what we're saying is we should not add to or take from the Word of God. If it says do it, we should do it and and not assume that we have the privilege of determining what is and isn't a salvation issue when the Scriptures doesn't get... First of all, the Scriptures don't give us that prerogative. And secondly, by what standard we would make that determination? Yeah, all right. Uh, Patrick has a comment in the chat room, and uh, we disagree with Patrick earlier in the program, and we're gl- but we're glad that he's here. We're glad that uh, we, when we have differing opinions, that we can compare our our discuss our thoughts with what the scriptures teach. Uh, like his comment here, he says uh, Jesus says to paraphrase from memory, "Whosoever therefore relaxes the least of these commandments shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven." So if that's what uh, the penalty is for the least commandment, what is then is the penalty for relaxing a more important commandment? That's interesting. Jesus said that 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 we need to make sure that we're doing what he has said. So how can you say, well, that's not important to do that? Uh, Dave says all things in the scriptures are matters of salvation, either the doctrine itself or our attitudes towards such uh, or our attitude towards those with whom we disagree. There's nothing that is a matter of indifference to God. I don't know if I'd go that far. There are some things that are a, a matter of indifference to God. You know, we were studying last night, and, yeah. and Bry Guy 71 in the chat room asked about Romans 14. First time 14. listener, by the way. 
Uh, Glad to have you here. He he asked about how does Romans 14 enter into the discussion of what is a salvation issue. We were taught, we studied that last night, Jacob, in our uh, Bible class here at College View. I think there are some things that that God doesn't care about. Uh, he doesn't care what you do or you don't. Uh, and I think that uh, the eating of meats, as discussed in Romans chapter 14, is is an illustration of that. Uh, he he did he he simply does doesn't care. Uh, at that time, their, their big issue was eating meats offered to idols, um, and and he said, uh, for instance, in First Corinthians eight verse eight, meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So that's a matter of indifference to God. They had a big controversy about eating meats that had been sacrificed to idols in the first century church, and Paul said God just doesn't care about that. Yeah. Uh, now that's not a self. Therefore. That's not a salvation issue. But the reason we know that is because the Bible tells us so. All right. John says certain things, such as eating meats, will not endanger our souls, Romans 14. However, if the Bible clearly establishes a doctrine or teaching, that it must be followed or else one's soul is endangered. Yeah. Patrick says, I was thinking Romans 14 as well. There are some issues which are not covered by commandments, and in such cases we have liberty. That's right. In matters where, where the Bible doesn't specify or instruct or command to, to do something, then then we have liberty, and those would not be salvation issues. It's not, for for instance, uh, in the eating of meats, we don't we don't deal with uh, the controversy of meats offered to idols right. today. But you know, maybe maybe someone chooses to be a vegetarian. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, that's not a salvation issue. Right. Because that's not dealt with in the scriptures. It, in other words, he didn't say thou shalt eat meats or thou shalt not eat meats. Yeah. Uh, and so since the Bible doesn't define that issue we can't we can't force one way or the other it's not a salvation issue but in everything that god says for us to do then we got to do that and we don't have the privilege of of choosing what commands we keep and don't keep which commands are essential and which ones aren't yeah i think that's really necessary someone pointed out what mary the mother of jesus said Mm -hmm. at the wedding feast in cana of galilee Remember, she wanted him to produce some additional wine because they had run out of the feast. Right. And she told the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. (laughs) That's a pretty good good rule of thumb. Yeah. If he said do it, do it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. A good comment. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. There are some things, I think, that uh, we should – that are not – Important and not in some things that we shouldn't even discuss because of their because of the fact that they are not important and they just uh, it doesn't uh, matter. Second uh, Timothy chapter two verse twenty three. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives. And Titus three verse nine. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. There's some things that uh, aren't worth discussing and uh, we don't need to have arguments about uh, how many angels can fit on the head of a pen. Uh, what was the uh, the mark that Cain received after he killed Abel. I mean, there's certain things that we don't know, and there's no business in talking about them, and we ought to just let it go. Uh, but they don't affect our salvation, right? You know, I have said that before. You know, but I I, I haven't it's, said it in the same context that people are today. I have said before. You know, that's an interesting question, and we may not be able to come to a firm conclusion on what was the mark of Cain, right? But that's certainly not going to affect right. our eternal salvation, right. whether we know the answer to that question or not, right? But in regards to the things that are commanded, 
You know, we, we have a command to be baptized for the remission of sins, and someone says, yeah, but that's not a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. Or, or the issue that we discuss quite frequently about instrumental music. Someone says, well, you can use instruments or not use instruments. It's not a salvation issue. Well, I disagree there, because those are things we've got to determine, because they're taught about in the Scripture. Right. And right. we have the answers. We just gotta, we, we've got to dig them out. Okay. Uh, uh, got an email from Steve uh, who says, I ask this question a lot. What is a salvation issue? If you believe one way, then you would think that it would be a matter of sin for everyone uh, if everyone understood everything the same way. I have found that if a subject matter cannot be fully understood, then usually no one is willing to bind it. Consider the veil in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, when it says, because of the angels. I really do not know any brother that understands that fully, and therefore we are not willing to bind what they believe about such a passage. Other times it's a matter of personal judgment. We could utilize one cup, but are we sinning if we don't? No, because that's not what the one cup refers to. However, the church could decide to use one cup or multiple. There's an area of judgment which gets more into authority. How do we go and teach all nations? By plane, bike, car, walking, so forth. Other times it may just be a matter of conscience, as I know a brother who doesn't play with spot cards, but also is not willing to enforce it on anyone else because it's not sinful to play with a deck of cards. He just prefers not to. Uh, so uh, I I would agree somewhat with uh, Steve. Uh, by the way, I think I can't explain about the angels in 1 Corinthians 11, verse okay. 10, but that's another subject. Okay. Uh, uh, but... Uh, some things are of a matter of personal conscience and opinion. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that Romans 14 tells us to be tolerant of people's personal conscience and convictions. Now, that first, Romans 14 is not saying we ought to tolerate people who are real loose and, and are sinful and right. morally corrupt. Yeah. We, that's not the weakness of Romans 14. Romans 14 right. is talking about people who have a conscience that, that sort of restricts them. Yeah. And they don't allow themselves to do certain things that they would actually be at liberty to do. Yeah. Uh, and we should be tolerant of them. All right. Well, we do have, it's not a salvation issue, but it is an important issue to me. We need to take a break. And uh, when we get back from the break, we've got an important question on self-defense. We'll okay. talk about that, and I think it will engender a lot of discussion in the chat room. And if you'd rather, you can send your emails to questions at collegeu.com. But the best way for you to be heard is to call 877-381-4567. Do that now during the break. We'll be back after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Do you remember when no one would have thought twice about getting the church involved in daycare centers, kindergarten, softball leagues, and youth camps? Are you upset when churches spend more time and money on social programs and recreational activities than on spreading the gospel? Are you tired of seeing congregations with their emphasis in entirely the wrong areas? We're still preaching the same gospel and still practicing the same things that you remember from years ago. We're committed to the idea of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Check us out. Please visit soon at the College View Church of Christ. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Have you ever studied with any of the Mormon missionaries that come calling at your door? Most of these young men carry the title elder, and they have devoted themselves to a two-year period of spreading their message door-to-door. Their zeal and dedication are commendable, but their message is full of error. Much like those that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 10 when he said they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. As you probably know, the Mormons based their religion principally upon the teachings of Joseph Smith. He was a man who lived in New York during the first half of the 19th century. He claimed to have received special revelations from God. 
The far-fetched details of how Smith supposedly received these revelations are much debated. Nonetheless, Smith produced several books, the most famous of these being the Book of Mormon. While the Mormons say they believe the Bible, they argue that it has been corrupted over the centuries. The writings of Joseph Smith, they contend, represent a more accurate latter-day revelation from God. It seems obvious that there's a huge burden of proof that accompanies these claims. If the Book of Mormon and its companion writings are from God, then those who believe in them ought to be able to provide compelling evidence of their authenticity. This, of course, is what we do when we meet someone who does not believe the Bible. In fact, we put a good deal of emphasis on studying evidences so we can be prepared to answer those who question us about our faith, as we're commanded to do in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. When asked to produce the evidence for their documents, Mormons usually respond by suggesting that one pray to God for an answer as to whether or not their teachings are true. They promise that God will answer by way of a warm feeling in the heart. This is the wrong approach. If the Mormons won't or can't supply their evidence, we have no common ground and there is no hope of reconciling our significant and essential differences. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we do remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. As we talk about various listener questions, and it does remind us that you can submit your question at any time for inclusion in a program like this. And sometimes the questions are... Uh, would take enough time that we can devote a whole program to them, but submit your questions or your ideas for topics at any time to questions at collegeview.com. Now to the question about self-defense. All right. Uh, from Sharkey, uh, he asked, what does God's word say in regards to a Christian defending himself or family from physical harm to the extent of possibly having to use lethal force? What about a Christian legally carrying a handgun for self-defense? And I'd like your thoughts, he says, on Luke. 2236. Okay. All right. Um, what about self-defense? Jacob, we, you and I may not totally agree about this subject, okay. I think, from some of our past okay. discussions. And I think we're going to have differing opinions on uh, in uh, among it, our it, audience as yeah. well. Uh, uh, Dave uh, says, love my enemies, do good to those that harm me. Uh, I guess those are some reasons why he would think maybe you would not uh, want to practice self-defense. Um, now, who was that again? That was uh, Dave. Oh, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, he asked questions. Where can I find anything in nature or example of Christ which would suggest that I should deliberately take the life of another person? Well, here's uh, I think that deliber- you know the way that's worded is probably not exactly the way I would want to suggest self-defense. Deliberately taking the life of another person. Self-defense is not deliberately taking someone else's life. Uh, you know, in other words, I don't sit. I'm, I, I hope some. I'm going to go out here and I want to put myself in dangerous conditions. And I've got my gun loaded. And I hope someone comes at me because I just love to blow somebody away. That's not. That's not the kind of thing we're talking about when we're talking about self-defense. Well, but there are some who would who would be among the gun-toting uh, in the audience, maybe who would say, yeah, "Wait, that sucker comes into my house, I'm blowing his brains out." Yeah, I think that's a mistake. I think yeah. it, no, no words. I think that <clears throat> let it, him it, let him cross the threshold. I'll pump him full of iron. Well, in Romans chapter yeah. twelve. Uh, Paul says in verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Yeah. In other words, we should be peace-loving people. We're not looking for a fight. We don't want to do harm to anyone. Right. Uh, we love all men, uh, and obviously we would not want to, to do harm to them uh, in, a, in a very practical way. If, if, they were, if, if I was to take that life, 
that guy who's attacking me, then there's the high probability that guy's soul's going to be lost, and I'm not yeah. going to have a chance to teach him or convert him. Or, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. so uh, it, it, I think any Christian who desires confrontation and a chance to use a weapon right. uh, le- uh, to exert lethal force, as Sharkey asked the question, I think there's a mistake in an attitude of such a person. Okay. Having said that, I argue that the, the scriptures do give us the right of self-defense against those who would do us harm. Okay. I, I, I make a, a case from what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 43. Jesus said, Know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Jesus is basically there in that context talking about watching in anticipation of his return, being ready. Right. And he uses the concept to illustrate that point. Uh, you know, you, know you, 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 you should you, you guard your physical possessions. You're not going to let a thief come in uh, and take what is yours. You, wouldn't, you won't suffer your house to be broken up. He says, therefore, be ye also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man coming. Just like you guard your, your house, guard your soul. Read that, read that passage again. He said, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Now, the, other, the, the idea that my, my point is Jesus wouldn't use, it would not be in the nature of Jesus to use to illustrate a point something that is wrong. In other words, he wouldn't, he wouldn't use a wrong illustration uh, to make the point that he was wanting to make about preparedness. He's, I think he's endorsing the idea. It's, it's right. It's reasonable to defend yourself and your property against those who would do harm. That's my argument from that text. I think, uh, okay, I, I understand your argument, and I, I don't want to uh, be argumentative, but I, don't, I, do, I do think it's a little bit of a jump to say that that justifies uh, all, all use of force. I mean, I, you you can def, you can suffer not your house to be broken up by making sure the locks are locked. Yeah, but this making is sure talking dogs but, in the front yard. But this is talking about the thief is coming. He says yeah, yeah. he says if he had known in the in what hour? hour the thief would come. Maybe he would. In other words, he wasn't just saying. He's not saying just take general precautions, lock the doors, shut the gates. He's saying if you knew when that guy was coming, he, if you knew at one thirty this morning that guy's coming. You'd be on your guard, and you're not going to let him come in there and take it. Okay, but so so I think that Jesus there is endorsing an understood principle of self-defense. Okay, all right. Let, that let, let be, us know your thoughts in the chat room on that. I uh, think I think it's a jump. I, I do think that's a stretch. Okay, I also would argue from First Timothy five verse eight that if, that providing safety is one aspect of providing for your own. If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith is worse than an infidel. There's lots involved in providing for the well-being. In other words, as a husband, a father, uh, I have to provide necessary things for, for my wife, my children, and so forth. One of those things, not all, it's not the sum total of all that I must afford them but one of the things i must afford them is safekeeping against those who would come and violently attack them mm-hmm. i believe it's part of providing for our own i would argue i would make an argument from that text there's some great irony in the chat room tonight guess 911 says he could i could be ready to call enforcement i guess 911 would uh want to call nine uh enforcement uh that's one way you could uh prevent them from breaking well but you know what you know what the the uh, gun rights people say uh, uh, 
What is when? Oh, how do they say it? I've heard Charleston that. Heston's my president. No, no, they say <laughs> uh, uh, when when trouble is just seconds away, the police are only a few minutes away. In other words, in the moment, in, in the moment, if somebody's breaking into your house and shooting a gun at you, uh, calling nine one one is not soon enough uh, to accomplish what you need. Somebody, somebody may know that expression that the gun rights people use. John they, said, just a thought, could we consider Jesus' statement to his apostles in the Great Commission when he said in, in uh, like Luke, uh, what, what, uh, it, it, this is the text Luke that Sharky, yeah. this is the text that Sharkey asked us about. He asked us to comment about Luke 22, verse 36. He said, uh, when he's sending out he's, his disciples, he's going to send them out, and, and this is... Uh, uh, the way it would be after his death. He yeah. said, uh, Him that hath a purse, let him take it, likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this is written, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoning among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Yeah. What's the idea of the sword? I, a couple of things. I think commentators are divergent upon that passage but one thing is that when they traveled uh i actually think their sword they would probably use it more like a machete like we would you know when we go camping we chop down you know uh, things for the fire and and so forth i I think their sword was pretty much a, a necessary tool for the harsh conditions they would be dealing with as they traveled from place to place to preach the gospel yeah some commentators go further to say that also they were uh, it's well known that, that highwaymen and robbers were terrible in those times. And if you were out on the roads, you were subject to being attacked and robbed almost continually. And that it was necessary to carry a weapon for self-defense in those circumstances. So some people think that, 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 that there's an implication in the statement of Jesus there to suggest maybe the idea of self-defense. Uh, John says uh, in the limited commission they were not to take swords, but in the great commission it was okay. For what purpose would the, sword, could, would the swords have served? Uh, maybe against animals? How about against men? Just a thought. So uh, John's asking the question. I think uh, the reception was a little bit different in the limited commission, wasn't it? Uh, they were more provided for by people they were preaching to in the limited commission, yeah. where in the great commission maybe the not message so well was more, more, re- more white more popularly received under yes. the limited commission. Yeah, so maybe there, there was no, less need to provide for their own needs uh, in the limited commission, maybe one way to explain that. Um, providing for our own does not include killing another, Dave says, in his opinion. And uh, Patrick says... Well, I want to I clarify, Dave. I, I, I've never killed anybody. I've never, I've never been even close to the need to do harm to anyone in self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and pray that it would never happen... Again, we're not looking for that opportunity, but could you? Well, no, in other words, if it happened, if someone broke into your house and was about to kill you, your wife, your children, would would it would you be within your authorized rights to defend yourself against that violent aggressor under the under the auspices of the instruction that you should provide for your own? Your children have an expectation that you would protect them from those who would do them harm. Would would it be, and I'm not saying you even have to kill him, but would it be right to come to grips with that situation? In other words, could you could you defend yourself? Maybe not with a gun. Maybe not taking his life. Could you wrestle him to the ground? Yeah. Could could you could you hit him? 
Could you chase him off? Yeah. And then we make a little bit of a mistake to say that self-defense is exclusively killing somebody else. There are lots of there's lots of measures of self-defense that come up short of actually killing someone else. Can you do anything, or you just must must you just sit there passively and do nothing? That's what I I, I just can't believe that the idea of providing for my own means that I should passively sit by and do nothing when someone is violently attacking my loved one. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And you may have added another angle to this discussion. Is Do the same principles apply when you're providing for others versus when you're providing for yourself? Is it? I mean, would it be a different principle to you'd stop somebody from harming someone else uh, versus harming harming you, and maybe there may be a slight wrinkle to that uh, consideration. Well, I think uh, I think Patrick brings up in the chat room the idea of doing to others as you'd uh, you know as you'd have them do unto you. In other words, if I was being attacked and couldn't defend myself, uh, would I want somebody to step up and defend me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, would that principles then say that if I have occasion to try and help someone else who's being attacked, should I defend them? Possibly so. Okay. All right. Maybe we should take a break and let everybody get their thoughts together. You certainly would like uh, to call, and that number is toll-free, and the line is open, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. I will say this. I think if you think, uh, well, I wouldn't want to shoot somebody to kill him, but I'd just shoot him in the kneecap. I think the same principle. I mean, if you can shoot him in the kneecap, you can oh, shoot I to kill so him. I think, so. I, I think I that's, think, that's, that's like a double standard. If you can defend yourself, right. you yeah. can defend yourself all the way. Yeah. And right. if it, it means you have to kill somebody, right. then you can do it. In other right. words, it, it, the question is self-defense. Uh, and it's not, a, and, and the degree of, uh, of of the matter is is not relative. I mean, not relevant. It's it's either can you defend yourself or can you? Not? And we need to get our listeners' opinions on what Jesus said in Matthew five thirty nine, uh, they, uh, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to them, him the other. Uh, also, we'll take your thoughts on that as well. We this is going to have to be fast on their side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Do you remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when good brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks? Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit us soon. Come and see for yourself. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new survey shows that a majority of evangelical leaders believe that Jesus Christ will return to earth and then reign with his followers for a thousand years. This end times theology is called premillennialism, and 65% of surveyed evangelical leaders identify with it. The poll also found that 13% of those surveyed were amillennialists, believing that the non-literal millennial reign of Jesus is happening now as Christ reigns at the right hand of the Father. That information is via the Christian Post. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning verse 34, we read, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program, and we need to go fast as we can continue the discussion brought up by Sharky. Sharky is in the chat room. Sharky, we'd like your thoughts as well on this question of uh, what about uh, defending yourself, self-defense. Let us know your thoughts, 877-381-4567. Um, 
Patrick has sent an email about self-defense. In regard to self-defense, he cites the Catholic catechism, gives the reference, uh, the legitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. The act of self-defense can have a double effect, the preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. One is intended, the other is not. Love toward oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. Therefore, it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Someone who defends his life is not only guilty of murder, is uh, someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. So he quotes the Catholic Catholic. The position of the Catholic Church, therefore, is obviously that self-defense is legitimate. Uh, uh, so we just uh, take that note from uh, from Patrick's email on that. We got, an e- we got an email from Chris in Atlanta. The Bible does not say a lot about this, but I believe that God would approve of us taking whatever measures necessary to defend ourselves and family from physical harm. Even though it is Old Testament law, we see in Exodus 22:2 that God was okay with self-defense. John 15:13 speaks of laying down your life for another. I would infer this would mean you were fighting to protect another and lost your life, or else it could be a case of throwing yourself on a grenade sort of thing. As far as owning a gun, we see in Luke 22:38 the disciples owned weapons. As long as we are obeying the law in our owning of a handgun, then I see no problem with it. My understanding of Luke 22:36 is Jesus was telling his disciples that his time was nearly up and that Jesus had provided them with all they needed, but they would soon be on their own, so to speak, and yep. needed to be prepared. I would disagree with that, meaning that it, they needed to have swords to fight because... They, they weren't going to promote the gospel. Yeah, you're going to be baptized, son? Whack. You know, knock it off with no, your head. No, but I would argue that if it means anything, it means that they might need it in defense of themselves as they traveled in under very difficult circumstances. But, it, it, but they didn't do that. I mean, they were stoned and they were, they were well, hung upside down. I, I, I mean, think, uh, now, I, here's a caveat. I think you cannot defend yourself against persecution for your faith. In other words, you can defend yourself against violent aggressors. You know, an anonymous person attacks you to harm you or take what's yours. I think you can defend yourself. But if someone comes against us because of our faith in Christ to persecute us, then then we're we're taught to submit to that, to allow that to be so. Uh, okay. I actually think that that's the gist of You ask about Matthew 5, uh, verse 39. I say to you that you resist not evil. Now, he said, verse 30, ye have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at law and take thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. I think there's an interesting explanation, verse 39, whosoever will smite thee on the right cheek. I, I read this years ago from a fella, and I thought it made some interesting uh made an interesting argument. If if you were to be to smite you on the right cheek, most people are right-handed. So if you think about it, you'll have to picture this yourself. I'm a right-handed person. Most people are right-handed. If I was going to smite you on the right cheek, the only way I could do that was to hit you backhandedly. My right hand to your right cheek would require me to hit you backhandedly. And the, the argument is made that Jesus there was talking about a taunt, some, not a life-threatening assault, but a taunting assault, trying to provoke you into a fight or an argument. In Jesus' instruction, sort of like we were mentioning earlier, Jacob, back away from that. We're to be peace-loving people. We're not looking for confrontation. We don't want to be engaged in violence. Back away from that. So if that's the case, Jesus was saying, 
as uh, I, and I think it's a legitimate point, as much as possible, avoid those circumstances. Don't engage. Don't don't seek it out. And, and that's what we're saying about the person. I I think a person would have a wrong attitude who says, man, I hope they come after me. Uh, sort of the dirty, hairy kind of thing. Go ahead, yeah. make my day. Yeah, he's come back. Yeah, yeah. Wrong. So uh, that's that's yeah. a wrong attitude. It's clearly yeah. a wrong yeah. attitude. Okay. All right, uh, Stephen says, I'm sure there's a historical context for someone needing a sword, as I know brethren who like to hike and always bring a gun to protect themselves from some animal. We really have to be careful with this, as I believe it is really a heart matter. It is easy to say that you would only use a gun to maim the other person, but you're, until you're in the situation, you really don't know how crazy you would get if someone harmed your family. If you think about it, how often does some Christian, someone of a Christian background get harmed if we follow God's law? It is there to protect us so we can freely worship him. There, some, furthermore, would a gun really help? Are you likely to have it on you when or if the time arises? I feel this question is usually more geared as a hypothetical as we condemn others for so much for doing. So brethren can do what they want. If someone tried harming my wife and I had a gun, I can have a very violent temper, and I'm afraid I would kill someone depending on the act. Is this how Christ acted when people slapped him, spit on him, or did he just take the blows? There are other ways to get rid of people from doing physical harm, and I don't think of us for a second uh, that the person doing the harm has not already considered that you would have a weapon and would deal with you in an appropriate manner to accomplish his task to get rid of you first so he can do whatever he wills with someone else. I've heard so many other ways of brethren dealing with life-threatening situations, even where uh, where even a knife was pulled out on a brother. It is foolish uh, thinking to try to one-up someone by returning harm. Sounds more to me like vengeance. Okay. okay. Uh, one of the things in that that I picked up is what you were saying earlier, Jacob, and that is uh, we should... We should it's not a question of, you know, taking a life or just shooting him in the kneecap. If you're allowed to defend yourself, you can defend yourself to whatever degree necessary to protect yourself. It's the question of can you defend yourself. Okay. That's the question we're getting. All right. Uh, Kevin uh, Kelly references Luke 18, 10, and 11, where Simon cut Malchus's right ear off, and Jesus told him to put his sword up. Yeah, but I don't think that would have necessary application to the self-defense question. Yeah. I mean, Jesus was determined to allow this to happen, his, mm-hmm. his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. Uh, and so uh, Peter was trying to interrupt what Jesus was determined to allow to happen. So okay. that was a specific case. All right. Pat- but, but he said also, Jesus said uh, in, in John 18, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. We're not using physical force to promote the kingdom. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. We're talking about self-defense against violent aggressors. Okay, and uh, Patrick, and someone else's reference to the eye for an eye, Patrick says an eye for an eye, et cetera, is in the Pentateuch, and it is a valid principle for deciding appropriate punishment in the court of law. However, Jesus rebuked his people for uh, using this principle as justification for taking personal revenge. Yeah, Okay. that's right. Okay. Uh, Ramona answers in email, we should be prepared, self-defense, by using the wisdom that God has given us. We should... We should trust in him to protect us and those we love, but part of our trust in him is that if need be, he will use our preparedness as a part of his protection, uh, just as in spare tires for a car. And she references 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, You know, one thing, I I do think that's appropriate. If if we're peace-loving people, we don't want to be involved in any violent situation. Then we take measures to prevent it from ever happening. And I got to tell you, uh, we've, we live in a blessed place and time where we can pretty well keep ourselves out of situations where right. we need to. Uh, I've never, I can I can thank 
thankfully say and thank God for the fact that I have never in my life been put in a position where it was necessary for me to defend myself against a, an aggressive, violent uh, person. That's, that's wonderful. And uh, we pray that those kind of circumstances would continue. Very, very few people do in this country, thankfully. And, and, and to the question that Sharkey asked about carrying a gun. Well, you can carry a gun. The law allows you to carry a gun. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any problem with people who want to carry a gun. But understand that you've got to have the attitude that you're not looking for a chance to use right. that. Right. I, I think you do have to be careful with your attitude if you're going, if you're going to carry, that, that, that you don't allow the, the common thought to permeate yours on that. And it's a difficult question, and I haven't fully made up my mind on it. And um, but uh, it is certainly, uh, I think, something that gives a, a, a lot of people time and pause to question uh, what is right and what is authorized there. So a lot of thoughts on that question in the chat room. It's an interesting one. Uh, appreciate everybody who participated tonight. We didn't get to the question on prayer. We'll try to have a whole program on prayer real soon. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your time tonight, Dad. That's you. And thank you, Jeff, for being behind the controls. We didn't get to your comments at all tonight, but appreciate you being here again this week and, and driving for us. And we appreciate you for joining us on the virtual Bible study as well. We hope you benefited from your study and discussion of God's Word with us on the program tonight. And if it's your first time here, we welcome you back again this time next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.